This is the Relevant Podcast. It's the week of July 24th, 2020, and it's the Relevant Podcast. In Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang. And joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Austin, Texas, it's author and podcaster, Jamie Ivey. Hey, guys. And from Nashville, Tennessee, artist and producer, entrepreneur, mogul, Derek Miner. Yeet! <laughs> <laughs> we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up, we have the director of the new film, Good Trouble, which tells the story of John Lewis. Um the late, great John Lewis. Don Porter is joining us. And we also have um, author John Kingston coming up later on the show. Good lineup. That's a good, yeah. lineup. good lineup. Good lineup. Yeah. I thought, great you, lineup. I thought you said Sean Kingston, the dude that you used to sing the uh, reggae. You remember that dude? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. He hard turn left. He got into <laughs> finance, politics, and now he's authoring the new American Awakening book. Um, hey, I, am, I am glad that we're having, you know, someone come on and talk about the life and legacy of, uh, you know, uh, John Lewis, who, absolutely. who uh, we lost this week. You know, what a, an incredible figure in American history. And, you know, uh, when he first kind of rose to prominence, he was in his early 20s. And, you know, like, and, and to have been you know a a leader for that long for decades and having it um, being a major voice in american politics but also kind of american uh, you know social life Uh, what an impressive legacy so can i tell you something sad the um you know we we all we knew uh he was public about the fact that his he had stage four pancreatic cancer but he was still serving in congress he was still living a full life in fact during the black lives matter protests i mean he was out he was participating as he always has uh i think he's been arrested 45 times in his life and the phrase good trouble is like you know he said like sometimes you got into get sometimes you need to get into good trouble you know to make positive change which his life uh, personified Uh, a little behind the scenes we book these interviews way out, you know, like we knew the good trouble release date was coming up. We were working with the studio and we were scheduled to not only have director Don Porter uh, be interviewed, but also John Lewis was going to be on the show. And uh, two days before the interview, uh, he had to cancel. And then a week later he passed away and we, we, we found out, you know, obviously uh, after the fact why he had to cancel, but John Lewis was going to be on the show. Um, but oh, the conversation with Don Porter is about his life and legacy and their documentary is fantastic. So yeah, you don't want to miss it. Love uh, it. Love it. Jesse, before we get going, we have a big hot list. Tyler's coming in as well. Okay. Uh, with big hot list, a lot of, a lot of stuff happening on the entertainment side. Tyler's bringing it this week. We don't really cover it, but we got to mention it. Sports is like back. Yeah, this, like and this week coming up, like all, like all the sports, all the sports are back. So excited! I have a pitch. I have a pitch to the commissioners of all major sports oh. that uh, you know, and I'm going to give this one for free. Adam Silver, I don't. Roger Goodell, all, you guys don't even need to pay me for this. Okay, because I feel like sort of like 
the anxiety a lot of people are having for sports. Well, well, first off on the top of the list is obviously, you know, the safety of the players and the staff. But it seems like leagues are really trying to do everything they can to kind of ramp up testing and put players in these sort of bubbles so that so there's very limited chances they could be exposed to the virus if they are currently testing negative. If someone's, you know, uh, testing positive, they can be quarantined and, and kind of be monitored and then be back on the on the playing field once they recover. But right. The caveat to all of this is they're going to be playing games in the next couple of days across, you know, baseball uh, starts up, you know, started up this week. The right. NBA is, is, is playing kind of, you know, a version of like sort of preseason games as they, they're coming into uh, uh, their season starting. And it's only a matter of time before football in some way is going to be back. But here's the awkward part. There's no fans. Okay. No fans. So we're going to be watching these games. It's going to be empty arenas and it's going to be weird and depressing. Okay. Like, let's just call it what it is. So I have a couple of things that I, I am going to suggest that was going to make it a little less weird. Okay. Like one in basketball, let's go ahead and just alter the rules. Let's just like, if we're, if it's going to be a weird game anyway, like let's go, like I want, I want the wall. I want, I want there to be like walls around the court. There's no bleachers. There's no reason to play this in a big empty stadium. Okay. Put walls off and allow you to pass the ball off the walls. Oh. Like, so like arena football, like back like in the day when they pass, would like modify. Not a pass. Yeah. And it levels the playing field because no one's going to know how to do it, including yeah. the good teams. You I know? like it. The other one so, is So you like, want to go rock and jock. You want to go MTV rock and jock. Just add a five-pointer. Just like mix up the America, game. <laughs> the spirits of America need to be lifted. And what <laughs> was more fun back in the day than seeing a cast member from, you know, the real world and, you know, the guy who played Theo Huxtable <laughs> jacking up nine pointers from, from deep. From, from deep. You know what I mean? Like, you, you're like, oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen seen like oh so if they, but if, but i can see them not doing that but i thought of another solution too okay. because i have a you, at cameron as you know i've thought of a lot of ways to alter rules of sports to make right. them even better including right. some ways that i don't even know if are currently against the rules i've told you this many times i've scoured the nba rule book and yeah. basketball at all levels and i actually tried this when i coached at an inter on the intramural level where i had one player Go on top of the, the the shoulders of another player, and I had a nine foot tall behemoth. Sure, I was playing four on five, but no one could get up there. And guess what? The refs made me stop. But I argued. Show me in the rule book where I can't do this. Show me in the rule book where I can't create a you Superman. You really did that? Yes. And I and I selected players. I was like, you know, you're on the team, pal. You're the base. Yeah, I need someone with a strong trunk. Some good shoulders. And I need I need someone that's sort of you know spry on your shoulders. And you're just going to sit there and we're just going to toss it to you. But but <laughs> rule, rule changes aside, here's one thing that we can improve it. Okay. okay. Because it, let's say they do want to keep the, some, some stands open and, and you want some audience noise. These guys, these players that they should, that they should, uh, the, the league should require them to get their parents in the bubble. So now we got all these crazy sports parents yelling at each other. What's the best part of going to a little league game? It's not oh, the, the parents. It's not the, it's the it's, parents. It is. It's the, oh, thank the parents. you. You guys have all been, it is in no way <laughs> about the play. Like, let's just be honest. Children's sports at a lot of levels is barely watchable. Okay. <laughs> but you watch these parents and they're acting like it's yeah. game seven of the NBA finals every play. 
I want. Can you imagine how how like hyped up some of these NBA parents are? Get them out there arguing <laughs> with with each other. Like put them in the bubble and let's have some real family drama here. They get some reality. They have a reality show twist. I think get crazy sports parents in the fans in the stands and give us give us some like some drama to watch. What do you what do you okay, guys? So so the think? NBA in particular. This this podcast on the twenty fourth. The NBA games will be starting this coming week, right? So when we're recording this, we haven't seen, I've heard and I've read that they do have some plans to enhance the broadcast and make okay. kind of augment okay. the lack of fan fan participation. My hope, I know, I know this is true. Other players can attend the games and they don't have anything the else to do. Oh, okay, okay. So like NCAA tournament yeah. style, you'll see other teams like in the stands watching and scouting and whatever, hanging out. My hope, is that they mic those other players mm-hmm. and we get to oh, hear the fun. trash talk from the stands to the players on the court. That's my hope. Who knows? Maybe that's well, one of the things that the league has. So I, I already told that they're going to use the NBA 2K sound effects in oh, the game. In the broadcast? Noise. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the crowd I noise. Please not. do that. No, I, <laughs> I, I need not. the NBA to try that one time. All I, well, all I need is another announcer to say, he's on fire. Like, I need yeah. that. He's heated up. Boom, <laughs> shot <run. laughs> you know, here, Well, here's what I think would be great. Because I saw Steven Adams. He's a, you know, a player for the Oklahoma City Thunder. He's amazing, he, too. I love that. Yeah, he, he's, he's this big New Zealander, you know, really fun guy to watch. And he he was being interviewed and he said his concern is there's going to be a lot more technicals because, you know, at the average NBA stadium is pretty loud, especially in Oklahoma City. That's a big fan. Ba- that's a you know real hype fan base there. And so players can say things on the court and nobody hears it. He said he's afraid there's going to be a lot of technicals <laughs> because they always talk behind the ref's back. You know, now the referees are going to be like the parents in the front of the minivan. You know what I mean? They're I heard reaching, you. What did you just say? What did you say back there? Do you, uh, you said something. No, no, I didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah we'll turn it around. We'll stop yeah. the game right now, Stephen Adams. What'd you just say? <laughs> say it to my like it's it's going to create all this tension and screaming fa- screaming parents in the stands would just resolve all of this. Oh, okay. Well, I just got an email from the University of Texas because we have season tickets to the football games, and I've been like wondering what are they going to do. Right. And they offered the email was like you can either get a refund for this year. Or you can have your seats, but they're going to rearrange it to where the stadium's at 50% capacity. Interesting. So I, I was talking with my husband, Aaron, about it last time. I'm like, do we want to go to a football game? Because it feels like that would be, you lose so much, they take half the crowd out. Yeah. Mm, so I, I don't know. I'm in a predicament. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should get my money back. Does that make me a fair weather fan? Or should my, I go? My Orlando and- Magic uh, rep implied that when the new season comes back in December, that there will be some sort of arrangement like that for the next season of the NBA. So would you so, want to go to a game when it's normally crazy, oh yeah. all oh the yeah, sounds yeah. and it's oh, 50%? My entire point, my entire role at a game is to yell at the players and to, and to get into their heads. <laughs> so if you're saying the crowd is going to be half as loud, I got a much better but I chance. Don't have those that, I don't have seats that close to the players. Let's yeah, be but, but if it's half the crowd, you can yell from further away. And you're <laughs> gonna... Going to a half full stadium is like my dream because they're really, yeah. they, they, they cram them in there. You're, yeah. you're, you know, <laughs> sure, like, every time you got to get up, I got to crawl across five people. My arms are basically <laughs> touching people yeah. the whole time. I love it. They're tiny seats. It. 
Why, why not give me give me a social distance comfort pod, right? Just let me like put my, you know, it's like one of those fancy chairs that you can buy at like Sharper Image that like Tom Haverford and John Ralphio put through the lobby of Entertainment 720. Just giant <laughs> weird shaped chairs where it pro- pro- prohibits like other people's breath from going in there and yeah. just, yeah, space it out a little. I guess I parking mind. will be amazing. Like that's the worst part. Parking's going to be amazing. I'm hearing like, you know, the theme parks here in Orlando have reopened, like all of them. And Which is crazy Disney, because Florida is crazy right now. But but Disney and the other parks are doing a thing where uh, you have to have a reservation and they're significantly limiting the number of people. It's okay. like 20% of the normal capacity. Yeah. Mm. So I've had friends who have gone and they've said it is the absolute best experience that they've had at the parks because there's no lines. They went on every major ride three or four times and it, there's no crowds. There's nobody like it, the whole place seems empty. Like you have to park to yourself. If that's going to happen at sports, that's like a dream world. Okay. I love here, it. Here, can yeah. I throw out one more idea? One more idea. One, to, I, to, need to, to just I need, I need it, up. Jesse. Let's go. Okay. Like, I feel like all the sports leagues are in the same boat right now. Everyone's like, how is this going to work? Is, are people going to watch? Are people going to care? I'll tell you right now. They need to all join together and say, listen, there has to be at least one player from a different sport on the field at all times. <laughs> so all of a sudden, you got Giannis out there playing ice hockey. Okay? And, and, and all the sports are into it, too. Like, yeah. you, you know, I want I want the, the, the largest offensive lineman ever out there on in the tee box just driving at 600 yards. You know? Hey, I want to see... Listen, LeBron James... Play- Playing football would he be do crazy, it. though. Easy. And that would, would be crazy. I would make him kick. I would make him kick. You'd make him kick? Yeah. Just, <laughs> because, <laughs> because kicking super hard, and kicking a football is really hard. And I want to see someone who's good at everything not be good at something. So you'd be, <laughs> be like Charlie Brown. It's, it's, Some people it's, just want to see the world burn, man. Listen, it, it's 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 fourth and three, and we're sixty-two yards out. We're going for it, baby. We're going for the long we ball. We're going to put three, put three on the board, LeBron. I love it. Move the show oh, wait, along. I want to tell you guys something. Oh, Can I tell you tell guys us, something? Please. Okay. Speaking of athletes, reality TV. Uh, y'all know I told y'all a couple weeks ago about the show that my friend Emmanuel Acho was doing. Yeah. Called yeah, Uncomfortable you Com- yeah, you named I told you about it. Yeah. Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. I tried to get him to come on the show and he's too busy because apparently him and Oprah are friends now, which is crazy. Uh, my family and I were on the latest episode, episode six. It came out Tuesday night and my whole family sat down with him and talked about kids white and parents, everything. kids and everything, talked about white parents raising black children in America. Wow. We're, it was we're, so we're, good, and I was did, so nervous. How did you feel as a parent putting your children and your family dynamic on on camera like that? Yeah, I we asked all the kids, and anyone could have said no, and then the whole thing would have been gone. They all said yes. Um, I was really nervous going in because we didn't know all the questions he was going to ask, which mm-hmm. is very that's the normal, right? Like it's not a big yeah. deal, and. I was nervous for my kids. Like Aaron and I, my husband, we can handle hard conversations. We do this all the time. Bring anything at us. But like my 12-year-old and my 15-year-old, and they were champs, you guys. You have to watch it. I left there so freaking proud of them. And then when I knew the show was going to come out on Tuesday, I was nervous all day. Like, this is what I was mm. nervous about. People on the internet. I was worried about mm. people coming after my kids. Oh, my goodness. I texted you, Derek, that and told you that. Like, I'm, yep, I'm like, yep. I'm nervous. People are going to come after my kids. And, and I told it's you been, that I'll beat anyone up <laughs> that does that. It's been great. And I saw the episode. And it's, it's just really good. I'm so proud of my where kids. Can, and where can awesome. people watch it? You can go to Emmanuel's Instagram page. It's on my Instagram page. It's on his YouTube 
any of those places. Awesome. We will yeah, it was fun. Very cool. All right. Well, moving the show along, it is time for... It's the hottest, the hottest. It's sizzling. Whose voice is that? I need to know. My brother, Chandler Strang. Oh. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, our senior editor, Tyler Huckabee. Uh, bringing us a few items uh, that we've been covering over at Relevant this week. Hey, everybody. Derek, you should know that the original version of that jingle is over six minute long and can contain some <laughs> lyrics that are deeply, deeply unsettling. So hey, that I, was, want, that I was, want you to send those to me that, today. Like I that, need the full track. That version's the only usable. <laughs> yeah, that's the only usable <laughs> seven second clip of a I very, very it. NSFW song. Yeah. I had to send Chandler it. back really? to the editing house like 12 times. And each time <laughs> we lost a minute. Guys, I took a swing here. It's kind of a modern day song Solomon type of deal. So here we go. I don't it's, know how the, the palm tree and the coconuts factored into the hot list, but you know, it's all right. All right. <laughs> go ahead. Tyler. All right. Um, so the first thing we're, we're going to start talking about something that is that is a little serious, but it is on everybody's mind. And we want to be very careful here in how we talk about this because we don't want to get too lurid or anything like that. But obviously, the the Kanye West saga has another chapter in it. And this is so something sad, that is man. really tough to talk about, has always been difficult to talk about. It is part of the uh, the relevant Kanye has been very openly uh, making an attempt to uh, make faith a very uh, a key part of his music output, of his creative energy. Uh, then that obviously turned into a presidential campaign, which we talked about a couple of times over the last few weeks. And then over the past couple of days uh, or last or last weekend and the early part of this week, uh, things really took a turn for something very, very serious as Kanye went on a couple Twitter rants online in which he said some things that were just frankly very concerning and sort of disturbing, uh, made some accusations about uh, infidelity to, towards his wife, uh, said some things about his own career, about his family, about his in-laws and, and the ways he feels like he's trying to be controlled. And it's very difficult to know exactly what uh, is going on here. We're not going to psychoanalyze Kanye West. I'm, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I don't feel equipped to armchair uh, to, to armchair psychoanalyze Kanye from out here. But I think it, it sounds like people who are close to Kanye are, are understandably a little bit concerned about him. And the, he's he's talked a lot about his bipolar disorder in the past and how that's been a part of his life, part of his struggle. And so that's an important context to be aware of here when, when we talk about some of these things. Um I think people were very concerned. And then on uh, Tuesday, thank goodness, uh, a, a good friend of Kanye's uh, and uh, somebody we're very familiar with, Dave Chappelle, sounds like he dropped everything, flew across the country to be with Kanye at their uh, ranch up in Wyoming with some friends. To And as you, if you're familiar with Dave Chappelle's story, then you're aware that he has some familiarity with, uh, with living, with struggling with the public spotlight as well. So it was good to see that he could go up there and probably bring some experience to what Kanye is going through. And then uh, on Wednesday morning, uh, Kim Kardashian West released a statement. And I do want to really, it's a little bit of a long statement, but I do want to read it in its entirety because I think it's very interesting and uh, and very, very important. And we've We've uh, talked a lot about Kim on here. Everybody has a lot of opinions about Kim. It's hard not to. She's been in the public spotlight all of her life. But let me just read the statement that she put out to you all. She said this, as many as you know, 
Kanye has bipolar disorder. Anyone who has this or has a loved one in their life who does knows how incredibly complicated and painful it is to understand. I have never spoken publicly about how this has affected us at home because I'm very protective of our children and Kanye's right to privacy when it comes to his health. But today I feel like I should comment on it because of the stigma and misconceptions about mental health. Those that understand mental illness or even compulsive behavior know that the family is powerless unless the member is a minor. People who are unaware or far removed from this experience can be judgmental and not understand that the individual themselves have to engage in the process of getting help no matter how hard family and friends try. I understand Kanye is subject to criticism because he is a public figure and his actions at times can cause strong opinions and emotions. He is a brilliant but complicated person who on top of the pressures of being an artist and a black man who experienced the painful loss of his mother and has to deal with the pressure and isolation that is heightened by his bipolar disorder. Those who are close with Kanye know his heart and understand his words sometimes do not align with his intentions. Living with bipolar disorder does not diminish or invalidate his dreams and his creative ideas, no matter how big or unobtainable they may feel to some. That is part of his genius. And as we have all witnessed, many of his big dreams have come true. We as a society talk about giving grace to the issue of mental health as a whole. However, we should also give it to the individuals who are living with it in times when they need it the most. I kindly ask that the media and public give us the compassion and empathy that is needed so that we can get through this. Thank you for those who have expressed concern for Kanye's well-being and for your understanding with love and gratitude, Kim Kardashian West. Um, hmm. I don't feel super well equipped to like speak yeah. into, you know, I don't have a family member who's struggled with this or anything like that. Uh, but I don't think anybody probably and ever has been in the position that Kim finds herself in right now. And all things considered, I think that's a, a awfully thoughtful and gracious statement to put out in the midst of all of this. Absolutely. And for us, like over the last couple of weeks, like we've, we've talked about it here on the podcast, but like on our relevance Instagram, we've, Hey, he's running. No, he's not running. He's running. And like, I've archived all of those posts. I've, I've removed them because this isn't him running for president and whatever that breakdown that he had in Charleston at a rally last week where he was crying about, abortion and different things like it was very clear that this man's struggling and we don't take that lightly and we're not going to armchair analyze him and um we just wanted to bring that update because we thought kim's uh statement was uh, very compassionate and well said and we all just need to pray for him you know he deleted these tweets but i don't know if you guys saw these but he says chris and kim put out a statement without my approval that's not what a wife should do white supremacy Meek is my man and was respectful. That's my dog. Kim was out of line. I'm worth $5 billion and more than that through Christ. But y'all ain't listening to MJ and now y'all believe them. They tried to fly two doctors into 5150 me. I've been trying to divorce Kim since we, uh, since Kim met with Meek at the ward off for prison reform. I got 200 more to go. This my lady tweeted tonight. Chris Jong-un, Lil Baby, my favorite rapper, but won't do a song with me. Here's a, this is the thing, man, for me. Now, I know, I personally know people with bipolar disorder. Like, I know multiple people, actually, that are really close to me. But the hard thing for me, and, I, and the hard thing for me right now is that he has an album coming out. And I'm like, I, it, it seems like these rents only come during that time. 
So I'm not saying that he's faking, but whoever's around him could, is letting it go on more. The pressure, like, cause I like as an artist, I wrote. There's a lot riding on every album that you put out, every single time. And when I tell you it's a high pressure situation, cause one, you have, you know, that's your babies. Like all every song I write, that's like literally just like how you felt when you not like exactly how you felt, but like when you felt when you went on a manual show and you're like, man, if people start talking about my kids, like so when you put your songs out, those are pieces of your heart, your soul. And, and when you put that out, it's a lot of pressure. But then it's the pressure that like I literally had a dude said that's why your career has been in the same place for 10 years like people attack your career when they feel like your music isn't as good and all that so you have all of that pressure and it feels like somebody is not helping him manage this high stress high pressure situation around this time because it drums up a level of attention i, mm. I honestly i that's how it feels a little bit you know because i'm like why I mean, if he's struggling, why do people manage it before? But then the rails come off during the album. I'm and I'm not I'm not putting blame on anyone. I just feel like it's really and it's really sad, you know, because yeah. it's two it's two things here. Well, it's like people there's, taking advantage of him. You mean like like yeah, his, it's, the it's people who will profit involved. the people who will profit yes, from right. this yes. are allowing this to happen. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yes, there's 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 multiple scenarios here, and none of them are good. Scenario number one is he's having a, a a breakdown, a mental breakdown. Scenario number two is he's not having a breakdown, and this is all for publicity. Scenario number three is he's having a breakdown, and no, and the people around him are letting him have this Publicly. for whatever reason. Whatever reason it is, for whatever reason. You know what I mean? And, and it's just, Kanye is literally my favorite artist. I don't... They're, they're, he he is if, if I had a bucket list of people that I wanted to meet and just sit and just listen to to him and and, and understand and, and like I've Kanye spoke to me in college when he wrote College Dropout. Like cause I felt the same way. But I just hate to watch this unfold. And I hate that, you know, the timing of how it is. Like, and I really, you know, I, I I'll say this again, Kanye is literally my favorite artist. But if Con if the pressure of putting out albums is driving Kanye to this level, I would rather him not ever put out an album again and just just get help, get healed. Like like it seems like he's on the journey, you know, and that faith is helping him there. I want him to just take a chill pill and just it, let life enjoy life. Man, you did it, bro. You conquered fashion. You conquered music. You did it, bro. I just want you to just relax, just it, and work on you. Like that's if I if I could talk to him right now, that's what I would say, bro. Like I just want you to just work on you. Like the world needs you to be healthy. Like you know what I mean. Not more products. If you think well, about like like other artists, like 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 Rihanna, like Rihanna has evolved her career, and she's not trying to put out the hits like she was 15 years ago because now she's got Fenty and other outlets for yeah. creative opportunities and challenges. It's like, it's almost like I feel like, um, and again, I'm not going to analyze Kanye, but it's like, it's so, maybe he's spread too thin. He's got like too many plates spinning yeah, and, and they're all high stakes, right? Yes. Multi-billion dollar 
industries and companies and expectations. And I don't know how any one person could do what he's attempting to do. And that's part of his genius. But at the same time, if you're struggling with mental health and you have people around you that maybe don't have your personal best interests in mind because they're wanting to profit off of you, that's a tough situation. And yeah. paranoia is a natural tendency for a lot of people who struggle with mental health. And yeah, you know, now you don't know who you can trust and you lash out. And it's just, a t- it's tough to watch it play out publicly. And that's yeah. what's so heartbreaking about it, you know? You know, Tyler, when you first started, I didn't know anything that you just said about what happened uh, over the weekend. Um, but I, you started and I was like, I hope this is not another story about Kanye West. Like, literally, are we still talking about this? And I almost said that out loud. And then when you started reading Kim's response, I'm like, Jamie, way to not say that because her response, it helps everyone go, okay, we're talking about real life people here. Yeah. Like, we you just see families, like, real yeah, kids. We yes. think like Kanye is like, I, I don't want to be mean. Like we think, Kanye, what's wrong with Kanye? Like something's going wrong. This is weird. And then we can kind of make a joke about it. And then you hear Kim's response and you go, okay, this is a real person. This yeah. is someone's mm-hmm. husband. This is someone's dad. Right. This is someone struggling with a mental illness. Like this is a real person. And so I'm glad she released that statement. And I'm glad you read the whole thing because it helps me, it reminds me to even go like, okay, you see people online, they live in a house together and they're struggling and what's going on. And yeah. it helps us to remember these are humans that are making mistakes yeah. publicly. Yeah. Yes. It's tough. For me, I'm just like, at some level, we have to be like, how much is the fame worth it? Mm. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like how, like how much are we going to give up uh, for the lifestyle? And I'm like, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking when I think about Kanye, just, I mean, legendary artist. Uh, let, I mean, People doubted him when he started doing fashion. And now it's like everyone wears his stuff. Um, you know, I mean, think about, you know, what even what him and his family have done with reform and even running for president, as crazy as it sounds, that's an that's an accomplishment. How many of us are ever gonna run for president and people even care? Like, yeah. so the fact that he did it even in the most awkward way, that's an accomplishment. It's like at some level though, it's like, man. This we cannot let this drive us, it, it drive us into ruin. And yeah. and you know his, you know your kids need you, man. Like your kids need you, your wife needs you, you know your your family needs you. They need you to be okay. And that's what, and I I think that's something we can all take if we were to take for ourselves in this time. It's like you know, podcasts, relevant, you know, books, all those different things. Like all those different things, we can't let the things and the success drive us into ruin. Like right. we have to know that we that that we're okay in Christ. Like, and I hate to turn into the preacher in that second. It's true though. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. it's good. Like within Christ, like we are everything that that we need to be because we have Him that's making up the difference. And another album sale, another book sale, another podcast download doesn't make or break us. It, 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 we are made in the image of Christ. So, yeah, yeah. that's my spill. I'm off the soapbox. And no, and I, I think that's really good. <laughs> and I think I think you point to kind of even this larger, you know, spiritual idea, you know, even, you know, setting aside the mental health conversation, which is obviously a very important one. But on the spiritual side. I, this isn't an original thought by me. You know, I've heard a lot of people speak about this, that, you know, humans weren't made for fame. Like we weren't, we weren't created for that. You know, it's, it, it's actually antithetical to 
our spiritual development according to the gospel. Uh, you know, the, 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 the secret of the gospel is that we decrease so he increases. And mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that people's adoration go to a higher power, not ones that we can understand, whether that's talent, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, someone that is, is famous for this reason or, or the other. I mean, that's why I think there's so much toxicity uh, with social media, because, you know, we've, we literally have a, you know, the, the icon that we use on a lot of platforms to express our approval is a heart, you know, like, I love this, mm-hmm. right? Like there is something deeply psychologically and de- deeply psychological and deeply spiritual about the act of clicking a heart next to somebody's words and not clicking a heart next to somebody else's. And I'm not, mm. I, that's not an indictment, but it's just, it's just saying, I don't think we were created for this. I, I don't think we, yeah, I, I don't think this was really, you know, when, when God designed us psychologically and spiritually to chase that. You know, and, and I think the more people get caught up in the chase, and I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, Kanye West here, I'm talking about all of us to a degree that, you know, w- when our focus becomes, you know, like you were saying, Derek, like how many, how many people bought my album? How many people listen to my podcast? How many people mm-hmm. liked my post? You know, when we start using that as a metric for success or worthiness, it can be really, really destructive on a lot of levels, you know? Dude, I, I, um, I didn't watch the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, when it was on ESPN, but it just came onto Netflix, and so I watched it. I was not a Michael Jordan fan in the 90s because I was an Orlando Magic fan, Shaq and Penny. <laughs> and so, you know, like, I, I, I was like, I don't want to watch some self-congratulatory documentary about Michael Jordan's story. I will tell you this. It was brilliant for this fact. It not only talked about his final season with the Bulls, but it kind of went through his whole career. And the man retired twice. Mm. And you have to, and it really did a very vulnerable look at the mental toll that fame and the pressure of fame took on him. And one of the color commentators made the point that you have to remember that this was pre-social media, mm. that, the, that the pressure of fame on Michael Jordan was so intense that emotionally he was so spent that he retired at the peak of his career and retired again in 98 because he couldn't take the mental toll anymore. And imagine the people at that level now, like Kanye, add in the social media, add in the immediacy Mm. of the feedback loop. And you're talking about we're not wired for this, we're not created for this. That is absolutely true. Mm. And and I, I have great empathy for people that are in that role because the other thing that the documentary made a point of with the gambling stuff with Michael was like American culture loves to put people on pedestals and then immediately knock them down. And Mm -hmm. now, I mean, look at Kanye. I mean, you put him on a pedestal and then we love to tear him down. And it's like, and then that, that feedback that he's, it's crushing. And I, I can't, I can't imagine how somebody in his position even could handle it. You know, you know, that, that you just brought that up camera about the documentary. I wrote something down that Phil Jackson said in that, and I've never forgotten it. It was when they were going into the 92 season. He said this, he said, you're only a success at the moment you perform a successful act. And I thought, how do you keep that up and to be a success in your career? You know, like you have to keep going. You have to keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. He said that right after they won their first championship. Exactly. He's like, going, now yeah. the next season starts, you're no longer a success. Yeah. You have to do it again. Yep. That, that pressure. Is, that is an incredible, yeah. 
that's an incredibly hard way to live life. You yep. know, it is. And I think that that 10 part documentary, even if you're not a basketball fan, if you're just a, a fan of human psychology and, right. and you know, interesting yeah. relationships, I think, yeah, you know, who knows? But I, I do think that when people look back at the era that that took place in the late 90s, pre 9-11, you know, like people kind of had a different outlook. You know, everything felt untouchable. Everything felt like things are just getting better and better and we can have anything we want whenever we want it. And and this is how it's always going to be. We're secure, you know, in, in, in America. And, you know, there was this, you know, sort of unhealthy complex of, hey, we're, we're the best ever. No one can ever do anything. But I think looking back on that documentary, I honestly think it's going to be an interesting microcosm for 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 how people thought in an unhealthy way. Then it's like hmm. we have to keep achieving, we have to keep driving, we have to keep like it's win at all cost, at mm-hmm. all cost. Mm-hmm. That was the me- I mean, ultimately, that was sort of the message of that of that series of, of that ten. You know, relationships don't matter, loyalties don't matter. The, you know, yep. French being a good human hmm. is secondary to winning, a- and. When you see that kind of, you know, and I think a lot of people have shifted their mindset in the last couple decades since that's been released, because I think you've kind of showed like, yeah, winning is everything, everything till you start losing. Then what? Then Mm -hmm. what? What about when you're not on top? What about when, you know, whether it's, you know, something like a natural disaster that shakes up or an act of terrorism that shakes a country to its core, whether it's something like we're seeing now? Yeah. If you're just measuring yourself worth on arbitrary measurements of wins and losses, it's great when you're winning. But when you start losing, what happens then? You know, and and that's a really difficult thing. And and I think to your point, Derek, that's why we can't put our value in ourselves and our abilities. Mm-mm. We have to put it in something greater, you know? Mm-mm. Exactly, man. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I could go on for days, but, and we got another podcast. I mean, we got to finish the podcast, but look, I remember being so stressed out, especially my album when I left Reach. Like, when I didn't have, you know, I left Reach. It was the most, it's, the mo- it's to this day the most successful. Christian rap label, period. And, you know, the first thing that happened when I left was, you know, people were like, oh, you're, you're going to fail. I'm not your fan anymore. You're, you're, why would you leave? You're you're this and that. And, and so, you know, my family is dependent on me being successful. And that is, ever since then, I've been fighting to be in a place where, you know, mentally I know that my success is not dependent on my performance, but my success is me loving the most high with everything inside of me. That's what success is. After And after that, that's where the the storm began to, to go down in my brain and in my heart. So I hope the same thing for Kanye, yeah. for real. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Tyler. I don't think you meant to bring all that. With <laughs> well, that, uh, first that was subject. good, though. <laughs> I was hoping that it's a hard thing to have an important conversation around. So I'm, I'm glad that you all were able to navigate that, frankly, better than I was able to. So thanks for bringing <laughs> for being willing to be vulnerable <laughs> and all of that. Uh, the Everything else, fortunately, uh, there is some... some I, I, I can vouch. Tyler and I talk behind the scenes and he has done a terrible job navigating that conversation. blabbering idiot <laughs> like a baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, Tyler had 
the single worst last dance take I've ever heard. And it was about why didn't Bill Winnington, a, a real life lumberjack, get more screen time? What's up with Bill Winnington? Oh, I was really gosh. confused. I thought it was about Michael B. Jordan, so you can understand. Oh, okay. I understand. I'm nine, episode, yes. I'm nine yes. episodes in, and I'm like, when are they going to get to him? There's, there's like is... 90 minutes left. <laughs> um, so, but, but this next, uh, Jesse, we're actually talking this. We were talking this piece of news would be, uh, this might be, Jesse, I'll, I'll be interested in your take on this one. So we're going to talk about our friend, uh, friend of the pod, Devon Franklin. Uh, he is a okay. New York Times bestseller. He's a speaker. He's a pastor. He's a filmmaker. He's been behind a lot of uh, a lot of faith-based movies. Uh, a lot of actually, uh, one thing that we kind of forget about some of these faith-based movies is a lot of them go on to make tons of money like that's something that i feel like is gets ignored in the conversation around some of these sometimes is that they're very very successful especially when you got somebody like devon franklin behind them so devon just inked what's called an overall deal with cbs this is the first time he's been involved with anything that has to do with television overall deal simply means that anything that he creates now cbs gets first dibs at it they want to be they want exclusive Mm. rights to refuse to take a look at anything that devon franklin comes up with first. Uh, it's a very exciting and it's a pretty extraordinary deal for somebody like Devon. Uh, he has a second look deal with Netflix that will follow this up. This is a statement that he put out. Wow. He said, thanks. So his, so his, so his like leftovers, Netflix, yeah, Netflix gets is, grab. Netflix is the runner up. Holy when people cow. want your second look deals, you know, you're doing something yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. That means he's getting bags. They're going to pay you that's for a second look. That's basically someone saying, I got dibs on the pizza crust. It's like, okay, I wasn't going to eat that. You know, my second look deal is the trash it. can. Yeah. Like that's my (laughs) one writer refusal. And then it's in the trash. Um, His statement here is interesting. He said, thanks for all the congrats. I'm beyond excited to expand into TV with CBS studios, excited to create new opportunities for people of faith and people of color. I believe entertainment is the most powerful medium in the world and we can use it to help shape hearts and minds for the better. Now, when you see the announcement of a deal, it's the beginning of something, not the end. So now the real work begins. Please keep your prayers going. I need them. I commit to doing my best to bring you the best shows I possibly can. And this is actually something that for as long as I've been alive, uh, a lot of Christians have been saying that they want they they want a space for people of faith in the entertainment industry. They they feel unrepresented, uh, and I think that there is actually some truth. I don't really buy into the persecution narrative, but I would say there's a lot of times right. when I see Christians depicted in movies or on TV shows, I'm like, eh, that doesn't really look like my experience. Not every time, but sometimes right. having somebody like some Devon of the worst there, things on. Some of the worst things on TV is when a sitcom or a TV show or even a movie goes to a church service Mm. and it's like Mm. the pastor's in a liturgical robe. It's got a, you know, then there's like some sort of like hipster brimmed hat and then a black gospel choir. And they, it's like, it's a mishmash. It's they like don't know what they're talking about. Baptist, yeah. But yeah. You have a caller, yeah. but yeah, you, you yeah. call everybody yeah. my child. But like, it's just not like, yeah. go to one church. Yeah, they don't know. <laughs> These writers have never been to a church <laughs> service. Church yeah. Yeah. Before yeah. I read about this. So mm-hmm. Devon is really set up to make, uh, to make some changes there. And I think it'd be really cool to That's see cool. that. And, uh, and, it, and it's definitely notable that he's doing this as 
a black man as well, because that I think that's uh, I mean, you want to talk about underrepresented, like that's going to be, uh, if anything, way more important. And bringing those two things together, uh, bringing perspective from the black church into CBS, which I believe is still the number one sitcom, number one network t- TV channel, I believe, is uh, is a pretty big deal. It's very, very cool for Devon Franklin. Jesse, you, d- yeah. I believe you were the last person from Relevant who got to talk to Devon Franklin. Is that right? Yeah. And, and every time I talk to him, I'm like super, super impressed. And not just because like, and, and not just because he's like a brilliant dude. He's super inspiring to talk to. Okay. Like, okay. I don't know yeah. Glad you went there. Okay. Listen, and, and, listen. Every time you talk to him, you're just, you're just jazz. You're like, Relevant you know what, dude? Pod- I'm going to go get a second look deal with Netflix. <laughs> I can do it. Relevant podcast <laughs> listeners, please go into our archives and go just scan it. Find the Devon Franklin episode. He's the headliner. Jesse interviewed him. Okay. It is the funniest thing because Jesse during the interview is getting so inspired and ramped up. He's amening Devon Franklin. He's going, amen. Yes, right. Mm-hmm, bring it. Mm-hmm. Like during, <laughs> like, like Devon's preaching. I've never heard an interviewer get so into it. It was so funny. Yes. I oh, feel yeah, like I, I could listen. take, I could take the floor with the 96 bulls at that point. <laughs> like, that's how I felt. No, I, He's I, like, I'm hey excited. man, that's right. Let's go. I mean, Je- like Jesse yeah. was like caught up in it. It was great. It was yeah. Great. Let's yeah. go. I, no, I, and I, I think it's, you know, uh, and obviously he's like pretty connected within the industry, uh, you know, entertainment industry in general, and has really chosen to align himself with some interesting people and interesting storytellers. I know he's developing a series at one point with uh, Kirk Franklin. I know, and I talked to him about this in the interview. Um, he was was uh, with Reverend uh, Samuel Rodriguez, you know, uh, developing a film, which I think to my understanding is still in the works uh, about the guy who created Flaming Hot Cheetos, which when I first saw that, I was like, there's going to be a Flaming Hot Cheeto biopic. Like, <laughs> and then I heard the story about how That's this guy was basically a, a Yeah. And I'm probably butchering some of the details, but it was someone who worked like as a custodian or something at the headquarters of, you know, the Frito-Lay Corporation. But he had one product idea. He was a super hard worker. He he was a really relational guy and ended up his idea turned the whole company around. And now he's like a a huge executive in the food business. Like, you know what? That is a pretty good story. And I haven't had a Flaming Hot Cheeto in a while, and that sounds pretty darn good right now. <laughs> That's the only Cheetos I eat. I don't even eat normal Cheetos. Like, it's just yeah. Flaming Hot. So thank you, my mans, for putting yeah. us on. And, and all I have to say is, like, I'm, I'm really interested in what Devon Franklin does because I, I like him as a as a dude, but also I feel like his his impulses for the stories that he wants to tell seem pretty seem pretty strong. And the Flaming yeah. Hot movie is still in the works, Jesse. It is. It has a title. <laughs> Let's go. It has a title. It's called, yeah, oh, it is still in the works. It's called Flaming Hot. It's a, they got, they got a title. They're moving forward. Can't, I, I, for one, can't wait for them. That's on high on my list of most anticipated. Obviously, production isn't going on right now, but as soon as they kick back in, it's going right to the top of my most anticipated of 2021. See, I, here's my fear because here's my, from my understanding of CBS, it's mostly like, college football and CIS spinoffs. <laughs> so it's like CIS inspiration with Don with D- Devon Franklin, you know, and it's like, <laughs> it, you know, he walks up to a murder scene and, you know, it's just, you know, some decapitated person they has to solve the mystery. And it's like, all right, everyone, let's not lose our heads on this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's CBS guys. That's, what? that's how they roll. <laughs> 
That just literally went, bro, that went left, bro. Jesse, Jesse yeah. just wants to get to his David Caruso impression about three times a year. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, he can do the sunglasses come off one-liner that Jesse will take you there. So. I would be down for a CSI church spinoff like CSI Christians, but yes. it has to be completely straight. I don't want it to be a parody. I don't want it to be like a like a like pastors making fun of it. I want it to be a legit grisly, terrible crimes committed in church services. <laughs> Someone drowned in the baptismal, you know. Oh, man. Looks, this is yeah. Too soon. Too gonna, soon. Oh, man. It looks like the body was found in the baptismal. We're going to have to take a deep dive on this one. All right, what's your last one, Tyler? <laughs> All right, the last one, I'm actually very excited about this. Uh, the last one is we got our first look, our first trailer for a new visual album from Beyonce called Black is King. Now, I feel like this one kind of flew under the radar, but the best hold thing- on, Tyler, hold on. Jesse has I, another I one. I almost made a very inappropriate communion joke that had to do with body and the blood and it was CSI reference and I'm glad I pulled for I'm glad I pulled the eject. <laughs> you the eject thank the you bro. I really yeah appreciate that. Thank you for the self for edit there. The yeah. Thank you for the <laughs> All right. True. All right. I am very excited about this. There's a new, there's a trailer. We got it posted at magazine.com for a new visual album from Beyonce called Black is King. Now, this is interesting because I think this kind of flew under the radar. The Lion King remake, John Favreau's Lion King remake from 2018 was, in my opinion, was I think terrible. a lot of his opinion was not very good. It was a, it was a pretty, <laughs> it struck me as kind of a cynical, uh, like just kind of unimaginative cash grab that, that just felt no like heart, a bunch of. Yeah like investors pulling the strings on uh, on something that just didn't really didn't really do it for me and i say that as a fan of of the lion king but there was an album that came out along with it called the gift that beyonce curated uh some new original music from her from some of her friends people like childish gambino major laser tiara whack and yeah blue ivy was there too and the album actually was really good and i just think disney didn't do a great job of marketing it along with the lion king movie that came out but it was a really strong album and uh and now it is getting a visual album spinoff kind of the same way that lemonade and homecoming did uh based on the trailer black is king will draw on some lion king themes maybe but it'll sort of poetically remix the narrative to its own very unique thing uh she's apparently bringing along friends like naomi campbell lupita nyongo jay-z is going to be there of course uh we'll see how it turns out but it looks really interesting the trailer is really really cool uh you, here's a little clip of it i asked clark to pull a little bit of the audio from it life is a set of choices does your father know you are here? Lead. I laughed in the face of danger. Or be led astray. Run away and never return. Follow your light. Or lose it. You can't wear a crown with your head down. The question is, who are you? Don't know, but take my power. I'm, I'm nearly as pumped as a Devon Franklin speech. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm ready. That joins. I'm, I, yes, let's go. 
Thank you, Beyonce. The full trailer's over at our website, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah you can and should go yeah. check it out there. I actually think Beyonce is at her most interesting when she's putting together these visuals to go along with her music. Yeah. I, that's mm-hmm. Both mm-hmm. Lemonade and Homecoming were actual experiences like real yeah. like mm-hmm. cultural resets that came out and so i'm and this is gonna be on yeah. disney plus so if you got a disney, disney plus, plus if you don't have disney the most, plus that's the most now, shocking part of it doing? like what's, what's yeah there's no excuse crazy that's disney crazy. plus all right i'm with it well for uh all that content and a lot more every day go check out all that we're publishing at relevantmagazine.com stay tuned up next good trouble director don porter joins you let this look on your face Ego death is where you find happiness That's the only place you find happiness Way too many drugs, it's so bad for us One too many drinks and you had enough Murder my ego when you walk away You're listening to Ty Dolla Sign featuring Kanye West, FKA Twigs, and Skrillex. The song is Ego Death. Well, today's show is brought to you by Tyndale's Filament Bible. The new easy-to-carry Filament Bible is full of mind-blowing studies, devotionals, and video materials. To top it all off, you can access everything at your fingertips through the Filament Bible app. The app provides access to a variety of interactive maps, articles, devotionals, and worship music that relate to the scripture you're studying. The extra information comes easily uh, just by scanning the page number with your phone or tablet. It's spot on curated to the page you're reading. And because it's from Tyndale, you can trust it to be biblically sound and focused on helping you grow in your faith and service. It's not just a new Bible. It's part of a Bible reading revolution. Drawing upon rich Tyndale history of making Bibles accessible, the Filament Bible Collection introduces Bibles that enable readers to read and learn in a new way at any time and place. The collection includes multiple covers, sizes, features, and translations. You can learn more about the Filament Bible Collection at filamentbibles.com. Don Porter is a filmmaker, attorney, and founder of Trilogy Films, where she creates documentaries like the recent release, John Lewis, Good Trouble. We recently talked to Don about John Lewis's legacy, how the documentary came together, and how the journey to racial reconciliation has just begun. Here's part of Tyler Huckabee's conversation with Don Porter. So if I understand this right, you already had a little bit of a connection to John Lewis before you started working on this documentary. How did this all come together? He did this interview for uh, the Bobby Kennedy series, and he was just the star of the show. I mean, he, the way that he broke down talking about, the, you know, that was one of the only times when he almost lost faith in humanity when Bobby Kennedy was killed. Um, so CNN actually came to me and said, you know, they had had a lot of success with their RBG film. And so I was like, oh, they're in the mood for 80 year olds, you know, so this is another cool 80 year old. Um, so, you know, so they came to me, we already had some contact. And then Erica Alexander is a producer. She was, is an actress. She was on the um, living single black comedy show. So Erica at the same time that all I was talking with CNN, Erica called and said, would you like to do a movie about John Lewis? <laughs> so it was like in the sky that this was going to happen. 
And I said, well, we're already talking about it. Why don't we just do it together? Since we both... And so she came on as a producer. She had already been talking to him. It just was a very natural progression. Um, and, you know, here we are. And then I spent the next year filming with him and his staff and his family. We went to Alabama. You know, we went to Selma with him. Um, so we just we had a great time. My philosophy is very simple. When you see something that is not right, not fair, yeah. not just, yeah. say something, yeah. do something, get in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. He was always different than every member of Congress. So when you start creating a documentary like this, I think documentaries like this are super interesting because you're talking about trying to boil down a, a giant, uh, a guy this, with the stature of John Lewis into one narrative. What goes into, how do you even pick a plot line? It's a great question. And it, it you know comes up a lot when you have people, because like interesting people often have these long lives. And, you know, the thing to remember is it's not a book report, you know, <laughs> like, you can't do everything. So I like to kind of come up with a central question. Um, and for John Lewis, I was really interested in um, how, do, you know, what does a civil rights, a person who entered activism as a person who is knocking on the doors of the hall of power, how do what do you how does your career evolve so that you be, you know he was petitioning and protesting congress and now he's a congressman so like how does that how does that happen but also i was really interested he was 19 when he led the sit-ins i have an 18 year old you know like so people give young people a really hard time but you look at some of the most influential social movements of our current time. And they are just as influential as the sixties, you know, look at the, the Park, Parkland kids, look at Greta Thunberg, you know, look at the black lives matter activists. These are all led by young people. So I don't know why we are continually surprised. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to also remind those people that they come from a long and rich history. Like that's what America is, <laughs> is like what we're actually talking about is how do you raise your voice and make meaningful change? And, and I think, you know, John, that's John Lewis's life. And I, I think right now things can seem pretty dark and government does not seem like it's listening to us. And, um, but that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story. And I think that that's what John Lewis's life is. What is a misconception most people have about the life of John Lewis that you tried to address here? They know that he's brave, you know, they know that he was, you know, beaten and, and all of that. But what I wanted to focus on was how much planning they did as young people. I mean, they were meeting in a church basement for months and years, they were training for the abuse they knew they would get. So they walked into it willingly and knowing that was going to happen and they were ready for it. So, you know, when I look at the protests now, which are so necessary and so urgent, I'm like, that's, um, you know, we need to add to that, this strategy that's going to lead to, you know, the life that we want. So I hope that I, I love seeing people out there 
um, responsibly with masks because I am a parent. <laughs> um, but I do love seeing people using their voices. And I just, you know, want to connect them with the idea that we have been here before and it has worked. Like you are not wasting your time when you stand up for what is right. And you may end up literally changing the lives of millions of people because of your what may seem like a small action to you. If John Lewis as a 19, 20 year old wasn't doing what he did, I would not be here. We used to march with the spirit of love and with the spirit of dignity that we have shown here today. The whole time he was in the movement, it was frightening, knowing the danger, knowing what could happen. You cannot replace a John Lewis. He's the most courageous person I ever met. Too many people struggled and died to make it possible for every American to exercise their right to vote. I'm curious if you think this uh, doc has anything for what I'll call the scolds, the, the people who, who see these protests, uh, see people marching in the street and say things like, this isn't what Dr. King would have wanted. John Lewis, like, studied under Dr. King, you know, was motivated by him, trained under him. And, you know, Mr. Lewis said he is thrilled with the protest. Nobody, you know, wants a violent action. Of course, he is not thrilled with that. But that doesn't mean he doesn't understand where the anger comes from. You can understand it and not be part of it. So, you know what? It's like I tell my kids, you get to make your own choices, right? So make your own choice, but know that the 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 nonviolent protest is actually the most successful social change tool in history. Uh, that's just a fact. Last question here. What surprised you most about your time with John Lewis? I think what surprised me the most is how what a happy and peaceful person he is. I mean, we were filming with him while there were serious efforts to dismantle the Voting Rights Act. That was like one of his crowning achievements. And I was depressed and upset about that. And he just said, you know, there are ups and downs, but he is just, he so (laughs) believes in people that it's hard not to believe along with him. So I I was surprised at how legitimately, I guess if you live your life doing what you're meant to do, you know, it shows. And he's a very happy man. That was Don Porter. To read the rest of that conversation, head over to relevantmagazine.com and do yourself a favor and rent Good Trouble on Apple, Amazon, or wherever you get your movies.
You're listening to Tame Impala. The song is Lost in Yesterday. That's my band. Sorry, I know For that's real? Good. Yes. Tame Impala is my band. I love dude, them. Dude, I, I heard a... I, I was listening. I listen... At, I'm working at home. I listen to like uh, Beats 1 all the time, like their radio yeah. station. And the DJ yesterday morning, she said... She was in London and she said, Hey, I'm going to play a song for those of you who are listening right now where it's the morning. You're just waking up. And then I'm going to play a song for those of you who are listening right now that it's your afternoon and you're just wrapping up your workday. And for the morning song, she played Tame Impala. And you know what? It was morning where I was listening to it. It was the best kind of start the day kind of music. It was, it was great. I love Tame Impala. Currents is the most oh. genre bending. Absolutely. Like, I'm like, what am I? Li-? When I first heard it, I'm like, what am I listening to? It literally inspired. I, I, I'll be honest. Currents inspired probably, man, two years worth of music. No lie. Whew. Around yeah. that album, we had them in the magazine, actually. Oh, man. They're dope. Well, today's show is also brought to you by BetterHelp. Is something preventing you from achieving your goals or keeping you from experiencing peace and happiness? With the heaviness of all that's happening in our world, it's difficult to find joy and purpose sometimes. And that's why there's BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You connect in a safe and private online environment and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly phone or video sessions and you can send a message to your counselor anytime. To top it all off, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener of the relevant podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash relevant. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash relevant. Okay, it's time for Slices. What do you have, Jesse? All right. I saw this story and I couldn't resist. I, I, I've, I've told similar stories about like this before, but it's a fascinating subject to me. And, uh, and I, I can't stop thinking about it because one day I want to pursue a similar uh, uh, goal like this couple who lives in Vancouver on an island they made themselves in the middle of a lake. Okay, so this started uh, years ago. And, they, and so basically this couple, they're both artists, right? And the problem is, you know, that they, they say they were recently spotlighted on a, in a lengthy profile on CNN uh, because, it, it, you know, the kind of the, the current spin on it is like, hey, what a, be- what a better way to socially distance than making an island out in the middle of the ocean. And so this couple, they're both artists, right? And uh, like visual artists and sculptors and things. The problem is like they really wanted to stick to doing that, but it wasn't really you know, kind of paying the bills for a traditional lifestyle. So they're hanging out at a at a friend's cabin one one day and there's a big storm and it knocked all this wood over onto the property and they decided to start, you know, they're artists. So they start building it out. Fast forward, they have a a a floating structure that is out in the ocean right now. And they, and they, and and uh, sometimes like they move I thought it, it was to, in a lake. They, yeah, they move uh, it. Well, yeah, a, a lake uh, uh, that has access. You can you can actually get to the lake, uh, uh, you know, through canals or something. But it's tethered to the beach, 
but it is it's the size of like four city blocks. And here are some of the things what? that they have. Here's some of the things that they've created. The compound has everything. This is from the, the store in CNN. The compound has everything you could possibly think of and more. A dance floor, an art gallery, a candle factory, four greenhouses, six solar panels, and access to a small waterfall that provides constantly running water. It's totally off the grid. They produce their own power with solar panels. They're, they're not to pay, they're not to pay the man for a property tax. <laughs> oh my goodness, your libertarian dreams, what man. What the heck? They're living yeah. by their own. They're living by their own laws, and you should see this. If if people listening should go, I, I'll tell you their names that, that you can you can Google. Their names are um, Catherine King and and Wayne Adams, and you can go and they and you can see the compound. They call it Freedom Cove. You should Google this. It is awesome. It is like it's like when you used to go to the fort in the woods as a as a kid, build forts. It's like if you were a grown up artist. And just spent and literally had nothing else to do but to build a giant island where you just live on by yourself. It is a fantastic idea. And I, and, and, and to my knowledge, listen, I am no ex, as people know, I have my strong opinions about personal property, but I'm no expert in Canadian law when it comes to personal <laughs> property. But as long as they own that tiny piece of land where they have the stake in the ground and running out to Mill Lake, all of it's theirs. It's all theirs. That's all they need. They don't need to pay anybody. It's free, free from laws, free from judgment of society, free from pandemics. I am all about these, this couple. They, it's totally self-sustaining. They grow their own food and they fish. And that's all they need. They they can go into land, but they said it's it's a hike to get. It's not like you're going to Uber Eats out there. It, it, I I respect this, and I think it's awesome. And if hey guys, if things ever, if you're like, hey, whatever happened to Jesse? Look for man-made islands are. like floating in lakes somewhere. Well, Jesse, out in the Pacific Ocean, there's like an island of trash. You could just commandeer that. <laughs> I, I I've thought about it. So it's just the <laughs> two of them, man. though. Yeah. yeah, wouldn't you go yeah. a little stir crazy? I I've would seen, go so stir crazy. We've been doing know, this since March, and I'm like, this is crazy. You know, on HGTV, they have those like crazy homes or whatever. I've seen, yeah. I don't know if it's this couple or another couple, but I've seen one where they started to build a raft and they'll like a houseboat. And then they just, they would get like steel drums and just like add to it and add wings to it. And it just kept expanding. And like they, it's fully self-sufficient homes, man. You can do it. Jesse, I think you should do it. Just go over to go over to Plastic Island out in the Pacific Ocean and just start tying just it together. Build and a huge fort. Do it. Build a, a huge sketchy fort out there. <laughs> <laughs> you would be. I do think it's interesting though. Like looking at like quarantine, pandemics, and unrest in the globe. I wonder how many more of these types of dwellings will start to become the norm as people look to just isolate themselves further and further from the world going to crap. You know, <laughs> hey, I mean, I, I, I respect the game. I respect the game. It takes I a don't. lot that to build whole like, island. what would you take on a deserted island if you were there? I was like, I would just not I would just not even make it like I would never be alone on a deserted island. That's my worst nightmare. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Derek just really? sent us a photo of it. This is not like a trash island. This looks like a theme park. I no, it's awesome. It. It's got like Jamie yeah. sent it, though. I, I, yeah, I sent I'm it to like, you. Yo, oh. what, is that well, it? The, yeah, that, that's it. Yeah. And the other thing is everything. It's on got like island. swimming pools. They, they didn't. Crazy. They didn't purchase one thing. It's all reclaimed material. Like they, so. Dude, so for real, bro. Their, their budget was zero dollars on that thing. <laughs> Good for them, man. I think Living it's the libertarian dreams. Exactly. <laughs> this is just yeah. sign me up. Just all right. What do you have, Jamie? All right. Well, speaking of housing, this is a, a little turn, but maybe we can learn from Catherine and Wayne here. 
you know, a lot of things that we're going to see happen because of what's gone on in our country with COVID, you know, job loss, employment. But one of the things that's really heavy on a lot of people's minds is that we're going to see an explosion in the homeless population in Americans. Yeah. Um, there is this woman named Emily Benfer, and she is really smart about all this stuff. She's a co-creator of the COVID-19 housing policy scorecard. These are her calculations. She's going to see that the she says that the U.S. could see between twenty to twenty eight million new homeless by September. Oh man! Um, one expert predicts that U.S. Home, homeless population could grow by forty percent, which, by comparison, the Great Recession called saw ten million new homeless. So we're looking at double, almost you know, double and a half of what we saw in that time. And basically, their research is finding that rent is unaffordable in every state in this country. And it's interesting because I used to, I used to volunteer at our local county jail. And one of the things when we were talk to the women, we were talk about, you know, paying rent and how do you do that? And I don't know what minimum wage is in y'all's states, but minimum wage in Texas is seven twenty five. No, okay? I thought the federal is like 11. I just looked it up today because mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure I was right. Nah, that never happened, bro. Minimum wage never went up. I know. So I looked it up. So this said in Texas, minimum wage seven twenty five. And so this is what we would teach the girls. We would talk about, okay, so you make minimum wage, you work forty hours a week. That's two hundred and ninety dollars a week. You would do that for four weeks, it's eleven sixty. So, you know, then we would go through, okay, here's all your expenses like housing, electricity, water, food, all those kind of things. And then we did the math. And do you know how much money was left over at the end of the month if you're just spending like minimal rent, minimal this, and you're making minimum wage? Seven dollars. Wow. Seven dollars yeah. was left over. And then, you know, for our women that we were talking about in the in the prison population, you get out and then, you know, when you're on probation, you have to pay fees for being on probation. Like when you meet oh, with yeah. your probation officer, you oh, have to yeah. pay. So yeah. Pro- probation is the biggest setup in the world. It is. That's the, another it's conversation. crazy. It, ke- it keeps people in the cycle. Of, it keeps you yeah. in the cycle. Yeah, so yeah. you're working a minimum wage job and you have zero extra income and then you have to pay for your probation. I mean, it's just one cycle. So that was kind of a rant about, you know jail and that the kind of process that I, but this is going to affect america greatly. the thing that i read the the reason why it's going to happen like almost overnight in the coming month is that two things are happening at the end of july in the coming days one the federal unemployment subsidy of six hundred dollars a week is ending so the people that have been limping along uh that is over and 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 capitol hill is fighting over it because uh, Republicans are saying we can't extend it uh, because it's decentivizing people, people to, go to go back, back to, work to work because right. they're actually making more money more being money, unemployed. Yep. And so especially like lower uh, rung uh, positions are going unfilled and, and companies are struggling. So the government wants to lower it significantly and, you know, and they're just fighting over it. There is a recess coming up the second week in August. And so, you know, right around this time and there might be a week gap, but I mean, they'll figure out some new plan, but it will not be $600 a week. That's, that's one thing. So money's going to come down Two, the other protection that was happening that ends at the end of July is that they, the eviction uh, moratorium, like the federal Uh, government would not let landlords evict anybody for non-payment during the coronavirus epidemic that lifts at the end of July. So all of a sudden, all these people who have been struggling with unemployment can't haven't been able to pay their rent or mortgages are going to get evicted overnight. And so there's your 40 million. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And that's happening in the next week. So 
Yep. While we're, we're while we're watching increase. basketball, a lot of people are going to be struggling. So, oh my goodness, man! I, you know that's what I'm saying. Like it's like this is a scary Real coming life. weeks for yeah, a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, what do you have, Derek? Ooh, bro, that's that's heavy. That's heavy. Um, I got something a little different. Uh, so apparently, air conditioning is contributing to global warming. Yeah. So I heard this that I don't wow. <laughs> like so you think about it the earth is getting hotter. Right. But it's, and so air conditioning there's more air conditioning being added to the earth and right. then now it becomes this feedback loop of the more hotter the hotter it gets the more a- AC the more AC the hotter it gets. So uh I guess her name is Gabrielle Dreyfus who is a uh, part of the cooling efficiency program at the governance of sustainable development. She says, if we deal with cooling wrong, this is this is our quote. If we deal with cooling wrong, we essentially cook ourselves. Right. So so one thing I read, I I read that piece, dude, the 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 old AC units back until the 80s would put off like it's almost like aerosol cans just put off terrible, you know, uh, chemicals. The old AC put off like terrible chemicals. And there was a law that went through in the 80s. That, that basically they had to change the refrigerants and, and air yep. conditioning units. But the current era of air conditioning units puts off uh, air that is 40,000 times uh, hotter than normal carbon dioxide for the ozone layer. So like oh, AC units goodness. are currently outputting something that's 40,000 times more damaging to the ozone layer than carbon dioxide. So we're talking about methane gas from cows. We're talking about all these other things. It's air conditioning that is actually doing some of the worst damage to the uh, atmosphere right now, which is crazy. So it's going to be a cycle. The hotter it gets, the more we're going to pump AC, the hotter it's going to get. Uh, that's crazy. <laughs> Did you see, speaking of methane gas and the ozone layer and stuff, you know, seriously, it's like not a joke, but like cows and the cattle and the beef industry is like right. one of the biggest contributors yeah. of that. Did you see what Burger King did last week? No. What, what would no. they do? Burger King released this like commercial talking about how they said at the end of the commercial, it said, we know that we've been a big part of the problem. So we're going to be part of the solution. And they've been working on innovations that, they're going to be feeding their cows. I'm blanking. It's not ginseng, but it's some natural substance that they're putting into the cow's feed that will make them fart less. And, fart less? and so and they're going to be, they're gonna be lowering, they're lowering cow methane emissions by changing their diet. And so Burger King is saying on scale at the billions of cows that we have, this actually will make a difference in the, uh, in the atmosphere. Can you, can you send ginger? me that story so I can ginger. show it to my That's boys? It. It's ginger. Ginger, it's- yeah, because ginger's good for your digestion. <laughs> They're adding ginger to the cow feed. Isn't that nuts? There's a whole, like, you remember that yodeling kid from Walmart that went viral? Yeah. 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 They have a whole, like, three-minute video of the yodeling kid and his friends singing about cow farts it's all put on by Burger King, and they're talking about they want to be part of the solution. Why they, does Clark not have this clip? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Why did you not give Clark this clip? So, someone who, in order to work on this project, you yeah. probably not only need multiple degrees, you probably had spent most of your life dedicated to science, like gastro, into, you know, whatever. Like, you, you got to know all this stuff. And then someone's like, "Oh, you know, I heard you just landed a big, big deal. What, what are you working on?" Uh, 
bovine flatulence. It's like yep. cow farts. You're Dr. Cowfart now. We're going to call you Dr. Cowfart because that's what you were. You know, it's admirable calls, but who wants to be the scientist where this is their big thing? You know, Dude, it's a big, it's a big thing. But, but my thing is this, like, like the AC thing, you know, uh, society is going to be, the necessity is going to be there for society to change, right? We're going to have to change how we cool our buildings. We're going to have to change how, you know, our, our food supply is, you know, created. We're going to have to adapt. And, and, and it's good to see, you know, some innovators doing that. So Derek, per your, per your request. Oh yes. If you would like, sir. Oh yes. Play it. It goes on and on. What's that kid's name? Mason. Get some money, Mason. Oh my God. Listen, Mason went from a viral video star to having a little Nas X remix. Now he's in the Burger King fart cow fart song. Get your money, Mason. Hey, look, get your money, little homie. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that'll do it for Slices. Stay tuned. Up next, John Kingston joins us, and you don't want to miss the feedback at the end of the show. You're listening to Mac Brock. The song is I Lift My Eyes. Well, today's show is also brought to you by the upcoming Better Together online concert event for King and Country, who were on the show last week. Lecrae, Crowder, Jonathan McReynolds, and the New Respects are coming together July 28th, that's this week, for an exclusive worldwide concert event. Today's most prolific Christian voices are rising up to unite the global church in this unprecedented cultural moment. Now is the time to be light in the darkness, to bridge divides and heal past hurts. Now is the time to show we are truly better together. You can register for the concert for free at AmericanAwakening.us. Well, John Kingston has had many careers, but his current one is as an author and founder of the nonprofit organization Better for America. His new book, which comes out this week, is called American Awakening, Eight Principles to Restore the Soul of America, which aims to inspire a new generation to help this country live up to its highest ideals by extending the promise of freedom and equality to all people. Our very own Tyler Huckabee recently spoke to him about the new book. Here's part of our conversation with John Kingston. So we were just talking about a new study that shows there is now a record, (laughs) a record low of people in this country, in America, who say they are proud to be an American. There's never been a lower number of people to say they're proud to be an American since Gallup started first asking the question. So I guess my question is, should we be proud of being Americans? So when you get to that question of proud to be an American, um, 
we we deserve to be proud of the fact that we have breathed into existence something that really matters and it's worth fighting for and, and we but but at the same time we're, we're always yearning and aspiring to it as, as Martin Luther King said famously, you know, it's a it's a promise. It was a promissory note um, that has yet to be paid uh, on. And and my heroes, Frederick Douglass, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, they all believed in this country um, because they believed that that it it had the the promise and the possibility of fulfillment. And, and so, so what I'd say to you, you know, the the folks that are listening out there and your relevant cohort, look, I mean. I mean, I, I know how sad and disappointed people are right now and where we are. I get it. I feel it. I feel it every day, the same way a lot of folks do. Um, but but the, the basic premise that we're all children of God, um, that we're made to be together, that, that's who we are as Christians. And the citizens of the Republic, um, we've got the same concept. All are created equal. Everyone out there is a children of God. And in this country, we are committed to realizing on that. You know, right now there's a, a lot of people have a lot of ideas about what we should do about the fact that America kind of seems to be spiraling out of control a little bit. Uh, you have a book, American Awakening, which you put out your own ideas about what we should do. What separates your ideas from everything else that we're hearing out there right now? What's happening is, um, you know, some of the ideas out there are 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 really bad ideas. I mean, just to be clear, there's some really bad ones, but but there's some germ of truth in a lot of them, and and what's not what's bad of them is 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 not um it's not the ideas in a lot of regards it's it's a spirit which is animating them which is zero sum, um and it's and it's um you know my side's got to win your side's got to lose you know um you know it, it doesn't work that way right I mean the the the, the, the you know Martin Luther King. You know, you know, famously, uh, he, when he was assassinated, um, you know, his ideas were sufficiently provocative at the time that he, you know, he he, he uh, enjoyed only thirty some odd percent, um, you know, favorability in public opinion polls in nineteen sixty eight. Right? You know, it, well, what was so abundantly clear, what is so abundantly clear to us now about what he was taking us forward in was a compromised view of the way the public square would work, but it stepped on a lot of toes. And it, and it required, you know, um, some puts and takes from a lot of people. Of course, it, you know, for goodness sake, he was assassinated at 39. And, and he, you know, he didn't see the promised land. I mean, not that not any of us are going to exactly see the promised land, but he didn't see the fulfillment of it. Um, so it wasn't great, you know, as a consequence, but, but it had moved something forward meaningfully by, vir by virtue of asking something of some people, not getting perfect answers, you know, for the people he was he was leading, but he recognized um, as Nelson Nelson Mandela is another hero of mine. Nelson Mandela, when he came out of prison, twenty seven years of being in prison, twenty seven years, his oppressors, he came out and said, you know what, we need you guys, right? I mean, he didn't say, hey, you know, we're going to put you guys in the box because he, he said we need you. So he respected the contributions of his former oppressors, um, and that and that's the spirit which animates, um, you know, leadership. Not it's a puts and takes. It's a it's a you know we're going to move it forward this much. But we can't move it forward, forward that much. Um, that's just the way the way the world works in, in, in reality. One thing I've heard you talk about a lot is the very diverse coalition that you had first on your campaign team uh, when you ran for office and that you have kept with you now uh, since that time. 
you have a, a very diverse group of people around you, which I think is very cool. What have you learned about maintaining a really diverse coalition uh, racially, age-wise, ideologically, uh, politically? And uh, what practical advice do you have for other people who want to make sure that their own teams that they have around them are, are likewise diverse? Sometimes it's hard. I mean, more often than not, it's not. It's, it's more often than not, it's deeply enriched right you know it's it's more often than not you know the complementary components of, of what people add you know from their different experiences you know i'm, I'm the old guy uh, in the group um you know uh, mid-50s for me and then i got some in their 40s and 30s and 20s and you know and an asian young asian man and and um you know 40-ish um you know african-american woman and et cetera, et cetera. i mean how enriching is that right i mean i mean you know to, just to just to be able to get different perspectives, different experiences, different, um, you know, cultural slices, um, that makes life just so much better. So, so, you know, nine, not 95% of the time it's additive. Sometimes it's hard and, and, you know, you just figure out how to wrestle through it. That was John Kingston. Make sure to check out his new book, American Awakening, when it releases July 28th. You're listening to Dayglow. The song is Can I Call You Tonight? No, maybe not. Uh, okay, <laughs> it is time for your feedback. A couple of weeks ago on the show, we asked you guys, we, we, we were doing like a Ask the Cast thing, summer edition, we were just having some fun. One of the questions I asked the cast was, what's something you got away with as a kid that your family still doesn't know about? And we thought, we want to know that answer from you guys as well. So you guys hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast, and you also sent us uh, DMs on Relevant Magazine's Instagram. Um, so what's something you got away with as a kid that your family still doesn't know about? Now, I did think it was funny that most of the Twitter replies centered around the concept of my dad is on Twitter and I'm not going to post. My dad <laughs> follows me on Twitter. I'm not telling, you know, that. Or, yeah. or it would be just like my family to ask a podcast, to ask me what I, you know. So uh, a lot of y'all didn't buy into it. Uh, but here's some of our favorite replies. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking at Dan Steenson. He says, I don't think there was a day in early grade school where I didn't sneak my Game Boy Advance to school and go to the bathroom during math to get some Pokemon time in. I think that's hilarious <laughs> because you have now a Dookie Game Boy Advance. <laughs> I'd never want to play that. Yeah. Sitting on a on a toilet. <laughs> but getting Yeah. Hopefully you wash your hands after that. Yeah. Congrats. You really pulled one over. No one needed to know that. No one needed to know that. Uh, game boy. Uh, pop therapy pod. <laughs> the account says I was allowed to have MySpace, so I created an account with a friend's computer it would have gotten away with it too uh the parents never knew until a couple months ago when i started a podcast and mentioned it and my mom was then flush face with tears of joy i like 
I'm glad my parents don't really listen. I, I think that they, that they like maybe about 10 years ago, they probably listened to some of these, but they haven't listened in a very long time. And I'm, I'm like, you know, some things I share on this podcast, it's probably just better not for blood relatives to be all that aware of. I, it's just probably better. That's the risk of podcasting, I guess. Though. Oh my gosh. Okay, this is funny. Bill Park says this, forging my mother's signature on scripture memory confirmations. <laughs> oh, 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 oh man. Gotcha. God is seeing that one, Bill. I need you to know. Yeah. Did, did, did y'all ever, like back in the day, I got handwritten like report cards. I know we don't anymore, but like it was like a card and it was like the teachers would write my grades yeah, on it. Uh-huh. I Did y'all ever modify any of the letters before no, you showed it to I mom didn't. and dad? Oh, yeah. You did? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a couple times. A couple times. Because yeah. my parents were a straight A's or you're grounded sort of a family. Mm-hmm. And, and so I had to figure out ways to kind of slightly modify some of the non A's, you know. So. That's funny. So my man John Tancy is probably a criminal genius right now because he says growing up with two younger brothers, if one of them did something to wrong me, I would incite the other one into fighting them. They'd both get in trouble for fighting and be sent to their rooms, and I would have revenge and free reign over the TV and the Nintendo. <laughs> so <laughs> bro, like like the, the levels of deception. Yeah. In that situation, how old were you? How he old just, were your brothers? He just wanted to watch his own cartoons <laughs> and not worry about his brothers, so he got them to neutralize uh, themselves. That's brilliant. Good, good for him. Lex, Lex Luthor, bro. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Amy Smith said this. She said, we, she's not going to name the person was with, used to tell other kids that our dads owned the park. So we had first dibs on the swings and the slides. We used our status to cut the lines. I guess today one might classify this as bullying, but back then we were just crafty. (laughs) She's like, my dad owns this park, which means I get to go first on the swing whenever I want. Get out of the way. How do you... How does your dad own the park? <laughs> She's like eight. The other kids are like, okay, cool. That's cool. Your dad owns this park. I like. I do like how there's so many people that um, <laughs> blame things on their their friends. We had this still has come up because I have some friends that I grew up with, and uh, there was an incident that took place, and I'm pretty sure the blame got put on one of the younger siblings to this day because it was so disastrous. This family they had like a freezer in their garage. And like they would they would have icy pops in there, but mainly it was used like the family, like the mom and the grandmother loved to go like blueberry picking. Uh-huh. And so they would go and they would they would pick so many blueberries that they would fill this freezer in the garage with blueberries, right? Well, I'm me and a couple of buddies are over there hanging out with the older brother. My buddy goes in the fridge and we're probably like in seventh grade, gets an icy pop, we ride off on our bikes, don't think about it. He left the garage. He left the freezer door open when his parents and it was a hot summer day when his parents came. It it was the great blueberry incident of 1994 or or whatever year like blueberry juice seeped out the garage. The entire drive. Not only was a season was several seasons worth of blueberry picking spoiled. (laughs) The entire driveway was stained blue. Like there was nothing that was going to do to get this blue off. From that, they literally put a padlock on the freezer and no more icy pops. And uh, I'm pretty sure the younger brother took the hit. 
I do like this one from Brandon. I once convinced my mom I needed, quote, drumming shoes so that I could play drums better. Better. She bought uh, She bought it, and she got me a new pair of Tom DeLonge signature shoes. Tom DeLonge isn't even a drummer. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> mom a, didn't what know. A, yeah, there you go. The Brandon Crane has one that is like, he has a good heart, but he's also a thief. He, uh, he says, he wrote, I stole $80 from my brother to give my parents to pay a bill. Amazed that a nine-year-old had such cash, they questioned me and I made an elaborate lie about finding it at school. Uh, a meeting with my teacher happened. I lied again, but I got the $80. My thing is, he stole from his brother to give it to it to help his parents out to pay a bill. That's, that's, I mean, you know, he had a good heart, but like, what about the brother and all this? So he got away with it, but then the brother's out 80 bucks. How did it, like, I want to know what the brother said. Like, the brother I think it's had funny to know that, that he was like, stole. what kid has 80 bucks? You know, like, yeah. how did he have $80? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the other kid had $80. Like, how, <laughs> yeah. these parents need to get control of their children. <laughs> well, earlier at the beginning of the show, if you can remember all the way back then, we got talking about sports. Sports are coming back right now. Basketball's come back with the bubble. Uh, baseball's coming back with empty stadiums. Parcel stadiums for college football is coming up in the next month or so. Um, and Jesse is like, we need to figure out ways to jazz up this unusual experience, game experience. Uh, so we want to know for this week's question of the week, what would you do to help Major League Sports be more interesting during this weird quarantine season? There you go. So, oh, can I thought of one. Can I give you one? Yes, please. You know that game where like the all the people's faces are down and then they just pop up every once in a while? Whack-a-mole? Something like that. So what if yeah. in the stands, like the NBA games or something, they have all the all the stands are full of like cardboard cutouts of people and there's someone just running it and you know, someone's running down the court, they're running play and then all of a sudden the sidelines, people's faces just start popping up and they have to figure out who it is and all kinds of things. That would be funny. I, so, I so you're it. saying add crowd distractions, peripheral yes. distractions yeah. to make it more realistic for the players mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. Cause like, yeah. you know, there's always distractions. Yeah, you gotta have distractions. Yeah. Interesting. All right, here, here, here's, here's, uh, uh, here's one. Well, this one's obvious. I've thought about this for a long, long time. Switch out the football in the NFL for a Nerf turbo. Let them go a hundred yard deep routes and just have, and I've seen John Elway back in the day on the commercial, literally throw it out of the stadium. So it'll make the game a lot better. Here's another one. You have, uh, you know, like, the, you know, the ceremonial first pitch in baseball? Yeah. Yeah. Right? You know, where, where like, Jimmy Carter heard comes this. out. Make you, it count. It it counts. And it's either a strike or a ball, or you just see some slugger take Jimmy Carter yard, first pitch of the game. <laughs> ceremonial first pitch needs to count. It's ridiculous it doesn't. I love it. I love that It's not one. a first pitch. It's no, not. No, I threw out a first pitch once. What? Was it a strike? Oh, it was terrible. It was at our little, our tri- not little, it's AAA team here in Round Rock. But when I worked at the radio station, I went through the first pitch out once. Jamie, how cool would it have been if that actually counted for the game? Well, it would have been bad for whoever stared, I was throwing he for. At, he just stared at you and just cranked it out of the stadium, just trotted <laughs> around. It was not I, a it good needs first pitch. It needs to count. <laughs> I love it. All right. So hit us up. Uh, you can reply at Relevant Podcast on Twitter, or if you're on Instagram, just send us a message to the uh, Relevant Magazine Instagram account, and we will read your suggestions for jazzing up quarantine sports uh, on next week's show. Well, many thanks to Don Porter for joining us. You can rent Good Trouble on Amazon, Apple, and other online rental platforms. 
And make sure to read the rest of our conversation with her at relevantmagazine.com. Also, thank you to John Kingston. You can check out American Awakening content every Monday at relevantmagazine.com. You can also check out the American Awakening podcast three times a week on the Relevant Podcast Network. And make sure to pick up his new book, American Awakening, when it releases July 28th. On that note, we'll wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jamie Ivey. And I'm Yeet. We will see you next week. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, check out our Relevant Podcast Network, featuring shows like Relevant Daily, Signs of Life, Unedited, and many more launching throughout the year. You're Dr. Calfart now. We're going to call you Dr. Calfart. Relevant Podcast Network. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.